Father in heaven, we just humbly bow and we prepare our hearts and our minds to receive Your Word. Father, Your Word is the most precious thing in life. Our Lord didn't say that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that was given from the mouth of God for no reason. It's because it is our manna. It is our daily bread. It is the thing that sustains us. It's the thing that provides growth. It nourishes. um, It protects. And I pray, Father, that as we have fellowship with you and your word today, that your Holy Spirit would be here among us and help us to understand. May he open our hearts and our minds to receive your word and the truth of it, for there's a great truth revealed in here today. And I pray, Father, that you will allow me to glorify you through your word and to share it in a way that not only glorifies you, but edifies this body of Christ that meets here. And I praise you, give you all glory and honor through Christ Jesus our Lord. In his name we pray, amen. Oh, amen. All right. Since the start of the new year, we've been gleaning from the word of God about Jesus That He is the Word. That He is the rock. He is the foundation. He is what the church is built upon. And if we build upon that that battle plan, uh, that, that building code that He gave in Matthew 16, then it says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. You know, that chapter starts out. That's how we started out this year. But I want to go back now for a minute because as I was looking at it, I want to start Because the word that the Lord has laid on my heart today, and I hope that it's meant for each and every one of you, because I have found so much power in this word that it's going to affect my life going forward. And this is going to be one of the scriptures that I'm going to lean on. And I hope it'll be one of yours too. But it was like, we got to go back to the start because it'll help explain and tie in where we're going to with it the rest of the day. So if you want to turn to Matthew 16, that's where we're at at first. And... uh, It starts out with those stinking Sadducees and Pharisees tempting Jesus like they always do. And this time they were wanting a sign. They came to him and they're asking for a sign. And I'm always wondering, what do you mean you want a sign? I've been raising people from the dead. I've been healing lepers. It's never been done. I've been been doing all kinds of things. I've fed 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves and two fishes. And then you just turn around and say, oh, can you show me a sign? I'm thinking, (laughs) the Lord had to get tired of all of that. You know, I've been doing that. So he looks at them and he says, you, this generation seeks a sign. You look around and you can tell by the way things are what the day is going to be like. If it's red sky at night, it's a sailor's delight. He said red sky in the evening, it's fair weather. Uh, Red sky in morning, sailor take warning. So if it's red sky and threatening in the morning, you're saying, well, it's going to storm today. You all can read the signs of this world and those type of things, but you can't see the signs of the times that you're in. You can't realize that I'm the Messiah that's been promised and I am now here and I am available for you and you will not receive me. And so he then turns and leaves. He's called them imposters and a wicked and evil generation. And he said, the only sign that you're going to see is that of the sign of Jonah. And he departed from them. And so what he's making inference here in one form is that 
since they were not discerning the signs of the times and understanding what was going on in a spiritual relationship on what's happened in the world, that we probably ought to be trying to do that. So that's not for today. That would be for other days. But it is a good thing to know the signs of the times and how that's relating into the spiritual times that's coming upon us. So, but we're going to focus on something different. I want to see what takes place next in the conversation because immediately after those things, they were crossing over. And he turns to his disciples and he says to them, and it's a message of warning to us as well. He said as they reached the other side in verse 6, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. <laughs> and it just hit me, I, I put the doughhead disciples, and then I thought, well, pun intended. <laughs> uh, the the doughhead disciples, because he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, and they're thinking it's because they forgot to bring bread again. That was the same thing that happened when they did feed the 5,000, you know. And what happened then? They had to carry some baskets full down. So now all of a sudden it must be supper time after all of this discussion's been going on. And they're like, uh-oh, we forgot the bread again. And so when Jesus mentions that beware of the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees, they're thinking, oh, he's saying that. He's riding us again and cracking on us because we forgot bread. And it says, as you continue on in the story, that when Jesus perceived that that was their take on what he had just spoken, he just said, oh, you have little faith. Why is the reasoning, why is that the reasoning that you came up with, that you forgot the bread? That's not what I'm talking about. Verse 9, don't you understand? Don't you recall how many loaves you had left after that 5,000 that we fed? How many basketfuls did you bring back? How many? How many was it? You remember? One time it was seven. Uh, I think that was with the 4,000. But how many was with the 5,000? You remember? Twelve. You know why? One, one basket for each of them to carry down that hill. They were on top and they had to go down to the ship. And that was one basket. That was their takeaway to say, you better trust in me because I could take five loaves and two fishes and feed this entire multitude of people and bring back more scraps than what we started out with so you can always trust in me to take care of your situation for you. And so that, that was their takeaway from that. And he says, come on, guys. Do you really think that I'm going to be upset because we didn't have bread? We're not going to be without. The Father's always going to provide for us. So that's not what I'm talking about. Take off your physical glasses and put your spiritual glasses on. I'm talking about the spiritual realm. I'm talking about their doctrine. Whenever I say beware of the leaven of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, I'm talking about their teaching. I'm talking about their word. I'm talking about the word of the world versus my word. And the contrasting between the two of it. Because whenever you see, man, this morning, I wanted to start out by bringing some flour and some warm water and letting that yeast set up in it for a minute and then pouring it on there and getting the ball going and then just waiting. 
you guys know what it's going to do, right? Because we got bakers right here that bakes cakes and does different things. When, and I know a lot of you people bake bread or do things. When you add that yeast to that and you let it set for an hour in this warm building, what's going to happen? Yeah, it's going to raise, it's going to rise, it's going to... You know why yeast is com- uh, compared to sin? Because pride puffs up. And that's what yeast does. And so that's what leaven is. Leaven is the yeast. Um, uh, so it would be, be rising in. So what Jesus is saying, when we take the Lord's Supper, it's what kind of bread? Unleavened bread. And it doesn't rise. It's, it's more of a flat bread that's just, it's made without that rising of the dough. So, what Jesus is saying is, my word is like the unleavened bread, it's spirit and untruth. The world wants to drop in a little bit of leaven and you can't really see it. And when you mix that in with the dough, it disappears. And you don't know until that water is added and that time has come by that that rises up and all of a sudden you realize that you've got something false adulterating what's going on in your dough. You don't have unleavened bread anymore. You've got leavened bread. And so he's trying to tell them, I don't want you mixing the teaching of the world with the teaching of my word. I want you to keep my word pure and separated from the leaven of the world. And that's what he's going to try to tell them here. And he says, these These guys are the scribes and the Pharisees. And and I went to look at who these people are. They They were religious leaders. And they were also leaders of the community. They were the business owners. They were the the old money families. They were these kind of people who controlled things. Most of them sat on the Sanhedrin, which is like a form of a Supreme Court type thing that they had. So these were the people that influenced the culture and the community, and they are the people who made laws and enforced laws. And so when I look at that too, we've got to be careful of those things as the world makes their laws, makes their rules, makes the culture to bend around what they want it to be, we've got to be careful not to accept the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees that they're putting out for us. So that was the scenario of Jesus talking to them, beware of the words of the leaders when they came to Caesarea Philippi there in Matthew chapter 16. It deserves a deeper dive one day onto Caesarea Philippi. It is really and literally at the time of these disciples and Jesus walking there, they're probably surprised that he took them there because this is the stronghold of the underworld in their eyes. There was caves on this Mount Hermon and it was considered to be the place that was the deep dive to the underworld that that was the stronghold of it that was there and he brought them there after talking with the scribes and pharisees and telling them to beware of that leaven he brought them to this iconic place of their culture and he said this is the greatest weapon of satan is to introduce leaven into my word and to change it and to change not only it but our culture the enemy 
He was standing before the gates of hell. And that's why he said, Who do men say that I am? And they told him, he said, Who do you say that I am? They said, Thou art the Son of God, the Christ. And he said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But who did? My Father, which is in heaven. He has revealed it to you. And upon this rock, upon this confession of faith, upon this fact that I am the Messiah, upon all of this, I will build my church. And, the, and he's standing right before the gates of hell. And he says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But the warning that I want you to know is, beware of the leaven of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the leaven of the world, as we stand and battle the gates of hell, build it on my foundation and on the word of God and not upon those things. And don't listen to them. Don't let it get mixed up. <clears throat> Boy, I've not had to talk for three days, so it's, it's gonna, we're going to get it. It will not prevail. Satan, though, He's a master mixer of leaven, isn't he? Boy, he likes to drop that in there and surprise you and not let you know. Same he does in the agricultural setting when Jesus would teach of that. He would say, how did the tares get mixed in with the wheat? You know, it's always trying to mix in, trying to mix in and bring down. In the battle of the leaven, you know where the battle takes place? The spiritual battle? Mind takes place in our mind. Our mind is a battlefield. Do you want to you learn the secrets from the Word of God? How to, to wage war against the spiritual battle that the enemy is raging in your mind? You want to learn? Boy, I did. I did. So this is what Jesus is trying to tell him to beware of that. So... We're going to take an example from the Word of God on how to battle that and how to build upon the rock and how to wage war against the mental artillery of leaven that Satan will throw out. We're going to look at the Apostle Paul because life has challenges. There might be health challenges, family challenges, financial challenges, addiction challenges, relationship, work, faith, you name it, there's challenges out there that faces every one of us. I want to see how we're going to battle these things. And we're going to take Apostle Paul as our witness. He was transformed from Saul of Tarsus into the Apostle Paul. Oh, he was of a high pedigree. You know, he started out like this, Philippians 3, 5. He says, Though I was the ultimate confident in the flesh when I started out, I was so high in my pedigree of who I thought I was. I was circumcised, verse 5, on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, touching the law of Pharisee. <laughs> who are we to beware the leaven of? <laughs> Scribes and the Pharisees. Here was a Hebrew of Hebrews and a Pharisee of Pharisees. And he said, man, I had that leaven in my mind. Boy, I had all of that in there. Leaven of being a Hebrew, Hebrew, I was puffed up with my zeal and I got so puffed up, I persecuted the church. So now we have the battle 
of the Pharisee, the puffed up, the things of the world, the pedigree, versus the church. And if the church is built on the rock, it's going to prevail, right? Even against the gates of hell. So what happens then? He goes and he's going to get a letter to go after the church. Look what happens in Acts chapter 9. Let's turn there if you want to follow along. I'm going to be there for a while. So you can, you can turn there to Acts 9. And what happens is, is what we find out that Saul, this man who was later the Apostle Paul, was the devil's bounty hunter at this time. He was going out after him and saw in verse 1, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest. So there you have more of those Pharisees and Sadducees. You got the ones that's running the show. And he says, I want letters to go to Damascus. I'm going to go to the synagogues that if any be found of the way of Jesus Christ, that I, either they're men or women, I don't care who they are, if they be found of that way, I want to bring them bound to Jerusalem. And they know what's going to happen there because Stephen was just stoned. So as he journeyed and he came near Damascus, suddenly there shined around him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth. And he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you've been persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished, wouldn't you be? I mean, you've just stoned one of his disciples. You got letters to go get the rest of them and bring them back bound. And now this Jesus that you thought was dead and gone and an imposter comes to you and brings you in a bright light to your knees. And you say, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus. Man, you've been kicking against me and kicking and hard. And I'm going to crack you a little bit so that you'll open your eyes and stop. He said, it's hard to kick against me. Trembling, verse 6. And astonished, Lord, what would thou have me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city, and it will be told you what you must do. And here's a man that's under the influence of the lies of the leaven of the world. He's a Pharisee. He's going out with these letters to go chain up and imprison and bring back in bondage the, the Christian men and women. The first thing on changing from the leaven of the world to a disciple of Christ is you got to meet Jesus. And I want to tell you something. Just like Paul here, it was hard for him to kick against the pricks. And I've explained that before, but what that word means is, is that at this time, they didn't have tractors. They had plows with oxen. And the oxen would like to get running away and do their own thing sometime. And so right behind them, they had this running board thing that had sharp stakes and if they kicked up their heels that stake would poke them and it would hurt and it would kick right in that tendon and they would immediately have to stop and so what he's saying is the same thing to him it's time you stop or you're going to hurt yourself first of all if you've not met jesus and things have been going a little rough and it's like you've been kicking against these pricks, then maybe it's because the Lord's trying to tell you to stop and find me. 
it's time you stopped your kicking and start walking with me. And the Lord came to him in that light. And he says then, okay, I'm stopping. What do you want me to do? That's the second thing. You got to be, you got to be subjective, submissive to what the Lord would ask you to do. And the Lord, first of all, said, go into the city and it'll be told you what to do. And at this point, he's got a decision to make. Now he's going to, that light's going to disappear and he's going to be blind. And he's got a decision. Do I go back to Jerusalem and to my way of life and see what's going to happen? Or do I follow what he asked me to do? Go into town and trust me that he's going to come with somebody to tell me what I got to do. So he decides to follow Jesus and his word on what he said to do. And so he, he allows these men to take his blind body now that was so proud of a Pharisee of Pharisees and take him by the hand and lead him to a house. And so now the Lord goes to work. He sees that positive volition that he's turning to him. And so now he goes to the city blind as a bat for three days, three nights. He doesn't eat. He just prays. And he's sitting there on his knees praying. And, and during that time, the Lord comes to a man named Ananias in the vision. And the Lord said, Ananias. And Ananias says, Behold, I'm here, Lord. Here I am. Now, we've been learning in Genesis that that means you're saying, Lord, I'm here and ready for your service. What do you need me to do? <laughs> the Lord's got a good one for Ananias this time. Because he said, well, I got a mission for you. There's a man named Saul of Tarsus that's in this house down on Straight Street, in the house of Judas. He's in there praying right now. And I've told him that there's a man named Ananias that's going to come. And he's going to lay his hands on him. He's going to receive his sight. And you're going to tell him what he's got to do. <laughs> I think that he decided that I shouldn't have said, Behold, Lord, here I am. Because now Ananias is kind of going, uh, uh, Lord, uh, wait just a minute. Saul of Tarsus, is this this guy that I've been hearing about? Man, actually, everybody is talking about how he's coming here with letters that says that he has the right to take any that is your children and any that's walking in the way. And he's got a right to take them in shackles and bondage and take them back. We've heard what he did, like what was with Stephen, your servant. Are you sure? And he said, go. Go talk to him. Because he's going to be my chosen vessel. He's going to learn what great things that he's going to have to suffer for my name's sake. You know, he's caused some of that. He's now going to be submissive to suffering for me. He's waiting to hear what you got to tell him. Go, go to him. Go find him at Judas' house. So now, he does what the Lord says too. And in verse 17, Ananias entered into the house. And it says he put his hands upon Saul and he said, Brother Saul, I think he must have been from our neck of the woods because that's the way we talk, you know. Hey, brother, brother, so, so, hey, brother, Terry, how you doing? So, you know, he's one of us. And, and Ananias goes in and he says, Brother Saul. And he said, the Lord, even Jesus, 
that appeared to you in the way. So now Paul knows he's telling the truth, right? Because Jesus introduced himself and said, I am Jesus that you're kicking against. So now he knows that this is the one that was told to come to him and to teach him what he's supposed to do. This Lord Jesus sent me here today that thou might receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes as if it were scales. And he received his sight and he arose and he was baptized. And that's what it says right there in verse 18. So when he asked Jesus what it was that you want me to do, he said, I want you to do two things. Go into town and then listen to what I tell you that you need to do. Because I'll send someone to tell you. So what did he tell Ananias to tell him he needed to do? To be baptized. So step two. If, if the world's been cracking on you. And things ain't been going well. And you're meeting Jesus. You know what he's going to ask you to do? Come to him. And this is how you do it in faith. It's an act of faith to saying. Yes, you've asked me to do that and I'm submitting to what you asked me to do. And that actually is a beautiful representation. It is a beautiful imitation of the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection. And that's what it says in Romans chapter 6. That we are buried in baptism with Christ. That just like as Christ rose from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we arise also to a newness of life. And that's why he asked you to do it. Because you are dying to self and now living unto him. And that's, that's the way you do it in faith. And so that's number two. If you haven't done that, that was my question I was going to open up with. We sang the song, Are You Washed in the Blood of the Lamb? If not, today's your day. Hallelujah. The water's ready. It's warm. I got clothes and towels you won't leave wet. So number two, when it's told you what you must do, he told him to go and be baptized. And he arose and he did it. That's the pattern of faith that we saw taught all throughout the word of God. So then, this man's a new creature. And you know what God does? He starts taking away that old stuff. Out of your life. And that's what he does with us as well. He changed his name from Saul of Tarsus to Paul. He's now the Apostle Paul. Instead of Saul of Tarsus. He's changed. He's beginning to live his life as a Christian. But he came out of the world. He is flesh. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. So he's got all of this fleshly nature. Wrapped up with him from all of this time spent outside of the way so now he has to learn to deal with walking in the way and with that and with everything that had been done counter to the word of God now is a mind game that goes on in his head it's something that's constantly warring on him and now we're going to find out how the worst sinner because he said later on I am the chief of sinners and that is in the imperative mood, which means that, oh no, an indicative mood, which means reality. The Holy Spirit wrote it as a reality that he was the chief of sinners because of his pride and his arrogance and who he thought he was, that he was the hardest nut to crack. 
And the Lord cracked him right there. And he said, I was chief. But I have to learn how to battle these thoughts that goes into my mind. And so now here's how we're going to learn how to do it. Romans 7 is his confession of this. And that's a good one if you want to follow along now with the challenges that Paul faced when he became a Christian. And he says this in Romans chapter 7 and verse 8. He says, oh man. He said, sin seized its opportunity through the commandment and produced in me all manner of covetousness. And I thought, that's not a strong enough word. I need something a little more. So I looked up that word and what does it mean? This is actually a word that means when we think, when you and I think of covetous, I don't know about you, but I think, oh, that's not really me. I can't say that I'm covetous of everything and I go around acting that way. But the word, what it actually means is wrong desires. So it can be in anything that you have a desire for and a propensity to and you want to take it into yourself but it is contradictory to the way of the Lord, then, then I am coveting, I am trying to hang on to that, and I am desiring that and lusting after that, instead of it's battling, that's my flesh battling against the way of the Spirit that's within me. That's what this word means. And he said, when I began to learn about the word of God, that I'm not supposed to do this. I'm, not spo I'm supposed to act this way. I'm supposed to be kind. I'm supposed to help my brother. I'm supposed to bear ye one another burden. I'm supposed to pray without ceasing. All of a sudden now, that begins to war with who I was. And you can put in your own different things there. He says, through that knowledge... Sin began seizing me and freezing me up because it began warring with my flesh and with my mind and the things that I have lived with all of my life. Look at verse 11. Sin seized its opportunity through the commandment and it deceived me and it's killing me. Verse 14. I know that the law is spirit, but I'm flesh. Man, I am sold like a slave under bondage to sin. Therefore, at times, I don't understand my actions. And have you ever thought that? Have you ever come to points in life and it's like, why did I do that? Why do I desire that? Why is this going on? I know that I should be that way, but this is hitting me this way. You ever done that? That's, you're not alone. Because we're all of flesh, aren't we? And we're learning the law of the Spirit. And we're supposed to be born again of the Spirit. So as we are, we got to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've talked about the process that it is on this growth. And he was going through it as well. I don't understand the actions that I'm doing. And look at what verse 15 says. I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. In other words, he knows when he wants what's good and he would like to do it, but he can't bring himself at times to always do that. 
and he loses out on that. He says, if I do what I don't want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it's no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. And I know that nothing good dwells in me because I'm flesh. And that is my flesh. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. You ever had that battlefield going on? In your, I'm glad you're saying that. I didn't want to be the only one. Paul's that way too. He's saying, look, look at what's going on in my life. And it's a battle. I cannot do what I want to do. And I've heard it explained that, it's like, that, that what our flesh desires to do is like that splinter that got embedded really far in. And now it's coming to that head and trying to work its way out. And it's irritating and it's annoying and it's wanting to come out. That's what that constant nature of the flesh is like with those desires. It's constantly irritating and wanting to come out and expose itself and, and what we do it. And so then he says this. Now, if I do not do what I want, it is no longer I, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be in the law that when I want to do right, evil lies at hand. Isn't that the way it is? It's always there trying to tempting you and counteract that. And I do delight in the law of God. He's, I love reading the word of God. I, I love what the law says. My inner being embraces it. But men, my members, my flesh is waging a war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my member. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul says, I fight a battle in my mind between what I know is good and what my flesh desires. My fears and my stability. That's the two things. The stability and the fear. I fight it every day. It wages war against me every day, trying to take me captive. If you've ever been there, you know what kind of a battle that is. He's fighting that every day. People always talk about, you know, we just explained how, you, you know, Jesus wanted you to come to him and, and just like Saul to be baptized into Christ. You know, there's a lot of people out there that'll you see them on TV. This is the way they get you to follow them instead of everyone else because, you see, that would be kind of hard for you to do with them. But they tell you, just invite Jesus into your heart. How many times have you heard that? Just, just say a prayer with me and invite Jesus into your heart. I'm going to tell you what. Jesus doesn't want to be nowhere close to your heart at that moment. You know why? Because we're flesh. I'm going to quote you a scripture next time you hear one of those saying it. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. Desperately sick. Who can understand it? You know, the heart one minute can be thinking one way and the heart the next minute can trick you and deceive you. It is a part of the flesh nature. And I don't know how many times I've asked myself, why does my mind, why does my heart, why does my flesh antagonize me so much 
over this stuff because it is evil and wicked and deceptive. It's a part of flesh. And it's going to constantly battle with your spirit. And that's what he's trying to say there. That the, there's the two laws waging war. The law of the flesh and the law of my spirit. And it's grating. And, and it's creating that splinter effect of irritation upon me all the time. There's only one way to be delivered from it. Verse 25. Thanks be to God who through Jesus Christ our Lord can do it. And whenever you come to the Lord, the Lord's going to equip you for the battle that's going to take place. And it's called His Word and the Holy Spirit. So whenever we're baptized into Christ, Acts chapter 2 says that we are forgiven of our sins and that we receive a gift of the Holy Spirit. And He is now within us. So now we're going to have the ability through the Spirit to understand the Word of God and we're going to have the Spirit helping us. And those are the two things that's going to begin the process. But then, when you've entered in now and, and signed up to be a part of the army of the Lord. And a Christian soldier for Christ. You're going to get armed with spiritual weaponry. That is beyond and above anything that you can think about. So that's what I want to share with you next because you've got to use it. I want you to understand how powerful this is. Please, if you brought your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. There's going to be some things that I want you to underline there. Please get this if we don't get anything else. I pray that you understand and that this is a message to us on how we battle this assault that's coming against us. This was Paul's battle plan now, what he learned, and he divulges it here. Special artillery. Terry, when we went in the army, we went out there, they didn't say, bring your own M16, did they? <laughs> I mean, when, whenever you go in, you go in with nothing. And they take everything that you even had, like your hair, away from them. Mine never grew back. And... <laughs> And so then, they start issuing you everything. They give you the uniform. They give you the boots. They give you the weaponry. When they, and to us young bucks, they don't give you the weaponry to, to take back to the barracks. They got a, an arsenal. And you go through and check it out for when you're going out to the range to, to do your firing and, and your qualifications. But when you sign up for the military, it doesn't say bring your own tank. Bring your own aircraft carrier. How can we do that? And it's the same way here. We're in a battle, a spiritual battle, and it's a big battle. It's, 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 it's bigger than any world war. This is a universe war. This is a war for your soul. And you've got to be equipped with the bright arsenal to be able to get out of the stronghold of the devil that he's got a hold of us in, in our flesh. And so he says this, Paul says in verse 3, though we as Christians walk through this world in the flesh, we're not going to wage war according to the flesh. And I want to stop there and say that there's good advice out there. There's good things that they can give you at times for help. But if you're placing your bets that anything of this world is going to be the the end all do all for your spiritual war you're wrong 
There, there ain't nothing in this world that they come up with through the flesh that can battle Satan's stronghold over you. We're not going to wage war according to the flesh. We've got a different battle plan. So verse 4, he reveals the secret. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but our weapons have divine power to destroy strongholds. Now I want you to know the words, the key words in that one verse. Weapons, warfare, divine power, destroying strongholds. We're in a battle for life and death, eternal life and death. And it is serious, and most of the world does not know that. That's why we've got to bring them in here and let them know. They've got to learn the, the immense battle that they're in. Weapons of warfare are not of the flesh. It's divine power to bring down strongholds. Now, weapons. That's the word hoplon. This one stuck out to me, and that's why I'm making it special for you. This means the weapons of our warfare. That word means instruments that make war that underlines that God always gives all His divine resources that we need to prevail in every form of spiritual warfare as we are living it in faith. Did you catch that? If you are trying, then God is wanting to provide to us all the arsenal we need for victory. He's already defeated the enemy and he's already defeated death and he doesn't want anyone else to be defeated and he's going to provide the divine assets of warfare that you need even for that battle that rages in your mind. Thank you. Say it again and then it's like saying sick him to a bulldog. Now I know you're with me. He's going to provide it. We got to grab a hold of it. You got to use it. You got to want it. Amen. You can't just sit back and go, Woe is me. It's attacking me again. And you got to say, I am resisting that and I am bringing out divine weapons to bring down the stronghold you have over my heart and my mind. Amen. I'm going to blast it. Amen. And how are we going to do it? With his arsenal. And it says, that we have divine power. Theos Donatos. That Donatos is the word for dynamite. And Theos is God. We have God's dynamite. Amen. The word of God is the power of God to salvation. The power of God for healing. It's the power of God for everything. Theos Donatos, you have the power of God for this war that you've been cast into. The God of the universe, our weapons are the God of the universe's dynamite that He gives to us. It's more powerful than a nuclear bomb. Now, 
Now I want to talk about strongholds that were using God's divine power, His bombs, to destroy strongholds. You know what a stronghold is? Well, in these ancient cities at this time, you would have walls built around the city. But inside, if you have a castle, or if you have some place where the king was, or the, the, the people who were the people, they not only stayed behind the walls, but in that castle, inside the house that they were in, the, the barracks, they dug deep down. 20, 30 feet down, they had strongholds. You know, whenever, whenever they talk about wars getting ready to happen, where do our military men go? In the Pentagon, underground, they've got war rooms, and they've got things. They're, they've got now, because of the, the different weaponry and the different things, now that they've been drilling in the mountains out in Denver, Colorado, and places deep in underground rock mountains because they think they can't reach me here. That's what a stronghold is. That's the definition of a stronghold. I have dug in so deep under so much hard cover that I have a stronghold that you can't penetrate to. That's why when Russia or us or anyone goes over to the Middle East and you start copying carpet bombing um, those nations like Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan. And you know what they do? They've got strongholds. They're all rocky, mountainous, and desert regions. And they've built these things for centuries. And they all scramble down and underneath. And radar don't pick them up. So remember what type of bomb that they started to, to go after them with? Go ahead and give me that next slide real quick. You, do you remember when all of a sudden they came out with bunker busters? In other words, something that can bust through to the stronghold of where they're at. We're going to get a two-stage bomb that can blast the rock so that then underneath of it, the bomb will go off and hit the people underneath as well. And we called it Moab. You remember what that stood for? Yeah, mother of all bombs. That's the mother of all bombs. Well, guess what? Um, they ain't got the mother of all bombs. God does. And you know what? In this spiritual warfare that we're battling in, the devil thinks he's got a stronghold inside of you in your mind and in your heart and in, in our flesh. And he loves to see it being battled with and going back and forth to and fro. But God says, learn of me. Learn of my word. And the ways that I am going to show you to resist the devil that he would flee from even those strongholds. Because, go ahead and give me the slide again, Gary. Because the weapons that I am given to you aren't natural weapons. They're not of the flesh. They're not going to do nothing and they're going to sit there and laugh. It will if you try it on your own. Or if you try it with the world's weapons. He'll sit back in his stronghold inside of you and laugh and saying, you ain't touching this. And, and I'm going to come out again just a minute whenever you get tired of what you're doing. But God says, but if you trust me, come to me, walk with me and learn my ways, I will give you weapons of warfare that is my divine power 
to annihilate his strongholds. Praise God. Is that not what we want? That's what we've got to... That's the recipe for success in a spiritual warfare. So then, not only that, there's other things that this... When he's waging this warfare in our mind that he's doing to us. Look at verse 5. God says, my weapons not only destroy strongholds, but we destroy arguments. And every lofty opinion raised outside the knowledge of God, that means that we are able to use His divine power of the Word personally to destroy arguments that comes into the mind and those lofty opinions. How many times have you heard this? Either from someone else or in your own heart. God can't use you. God can't use me because fill in the blank. Because each of you have a different blank in your life that can be the argument or opinion on why you can't be used. Why you, they could say this, oh, you can't be used because you've done this. You've been there. You're like this. God says, don't listen to him. He's a liar and he's the father of lies. He's always going to deceive you. He's going to always wage that war in your mind that's going on. And he's always going to try to tell you that you can't succeed, that you're a failure, that you've had this problem, you've had that problem, but you're a new creature in Christ, are you not? And you have weapons of warfare that allow you to not only knock down his strongholds, but every time an argument is presented or an opinion presented, you can destroy it. We destroy those arguments and those opinions raised because they don't have the knowledge of God whenever they're speaking that. And what we are to do, here's your first bunker buster and your first argument an opinion destroyer. Take every thought captive for Christ. The moment those things start coming in, it's a lie. That is not the truth. And I take that captive and I resist that. And here's what I want to do. Look at verse 6. You get to give it back. Being ready to punish every disobedience. So whenever those things come in, whoever, whatever, you just resist it. And that gives the Lord the ability to punish when your obedience is complete. If I'm walking in obedience, the Lord takes care of me. You leave them unto the Lord and He'll take care of it. And then He reminds us of something in verse 7. Look what is before your eyes. Many times whenever myself or folks that I talk with are really coming unwound. I have to sit back or I have to, for myself, or I have to explain to them, settle down for a minute. Look around. Is any of that things that's really driving you into a panic right now surrounding me and you where we're at? No. But I know it's, well, here's the thing. Let God handle that. Rest in the fact that I'm a child of God. And I've got all of this. And wherever I'm at, He knows it and He's with me. And just relax for a minute and let Him have the wheel, right? 
What did Moses say when they all freaked out that the, that the Red Sea's behind them and Pharaoh's army's coming? He said, stand still and watch the Lord fight for you this day. And then he destroyed them with his divine power, did he not? The strongholds they thought they had, the chariots and the horses. And did you ever see him again? He said, and those enemies that are bearing down, take a good look. Look what's before your eyes. Because you'll never see them again. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that he is Christ. <laughs> Will you hear what the Word of God is saying to you? You don't have to stay that way. Look around. Are you Christ? Then keep reminding yourself that you are. And destroy the enemy. So praise God as the worship team comes on back. These are, this is powerful. Circle this. Use it. This is the word of God that is not the mother of all bombs. It is God's divine bomb. It's his weapons for spiritual warfare. The body of Christ needs to hear this. And you need to hear that if you are His and you're walking with Him and confident that I've done what He said, then look around and remind yourself of that every time it tries to, the world tries to knock you down and beat you down. And I pray that the Lord in His Word this day is strengthening you that you can take this and use it and keep it and always bear it with you and keep reminding yourself. And don't look in other places for your help. Look to the Lord from whence my help comes. And Father, as we humbly bow, we thank You for this fellowship in Your Word. Father, thank You for this nugget of truth that we can place within our hearts and our minds. And to know it, to be confident in it. And not only in your word, but that we are your children. We are Christ's. And in Christ, we've been given the power, not only of this, but to become sons of God. And it's my heart's prayer this day, Father, that if there be those that have not made that first decision to come unto you, to be washed in the blood of the Lamb, that they would do that this day and begin this journey. And Father, I pray that for those that have, but yet, like myself and like Paul and like everyone that is of flesh that's born of the Spirit, there's a war. And I pray that we learn how to battle that war, Father. I pray that we learn that You've provided artillery and answers. We need to use it. We need to... First, we need to believe it. I pray, Father, that everyone here that's heard these words, these were your words, not mine. I just read them. This is your word. I pray wholeheartedly that they will believe it, that the Holy Spirit will make it real, and that they will have confidence that they are Christ's. And if Christ, 
If God is for me, who can be against me? Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.